Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Pastors and what we call the preaching team, putting together sermons, series. We also do a critique afterwards. So the other people on the team watch the messages online uh, and give feedback as to things we do right and things we do wrong. Because our goal is excellence, to try to handle the Word of God carefully, but also excellently. Um, so we've, we're going through a series now on the Gospel of Mark, with really an emphasis on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and what that entails. Uh, we've talked about the discipleship process before, that discipleship is the intentional process of becoming like Jesus. It's being with him to learn from him and how to live like him, as if he were me. So today we're in Mark chapter 2. We're going to cover four different instances where Jesus encounters the Pharisees. Uh, The big idea of this really is as, as disciples, we must continue to surrender our religiosity to Jesus. Religiosity. Uh, religion has been defined as man trying to reach to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. But sometimes men and women, we get so involved in doing things, how to please and reach God. So I'm going to define religiosity here in a minute. But we're going to do uh, Mark chapter 2, 13 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. But Something unusual. We're going to jump to the very end of our passage today. We're going to talk about the end. We're going to come back and see how we got there. Because at the very end of the passage, it says this. After Jesus deals with the Pharisees, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You know, so far in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus being a good teacher, Jesus healing people, being very compassionate, Jesus preaching, but how do we get to this point where people want to kill Jesus? How do we get there? Actually, they're talking about not just dismissing Jesus or marginalizing Jesus or ignoring Jesus. They want to murder Jesus. How does it get so bad that these two parties, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're like the Democrats, the Republicans, they never agree on anything. But one thing they do agree upon, killing Jesus. Common enemies, or enemies that have a common goal, become friends, apparently. So how do we get there? It'd be like if Jesus walked into our sanctuary today, and he looks at the people, and he looks how we do things, and he gets angry at something we do, a tradition, a habit, a rule, or something like that, and he messes with how we do things. We don't like that. And we then plot how to get rid of Jesus. But these people, not just getting rid of Jesus, they wanted to kill him. How in the world did we get that far? Because Jesus is going after their religiosity. That's what we're going to see here today. Jesus goes after their religiosity. It's defined as this. Religiosity is excessiveness about certain faith rules, ideas, or practices. And I would add to that regulations, traditions that we make up. That's religiosity. And often these ideas these morals, practices that we have, our faith assumptions. We assume that this is what God wants. We assume 
this is pleasing to God. We take it for granted, and we uncritically do them, even though we never take time to pause and think, why are we doing this? Is this something that is at the heart of God? Because that's exactly what we're talking about here today. So religiosity is developing rules, regulations, traditions, habits, on assumptions that have nothing to do with God's laws. You know, the church has been guilty of this over the years. Certain practices and self-imposed rules, regulations that we have sometimes put on ourselves historically. You know, there was no dancing. There was, if you danced in the church, that was prohibited. God was unhappy with you. Although I learned today from somebody, they said, you could do square dancing. That was acceptable. I didn't know that. Drinking is another area, okay? The uh, card games, playing cards, a lot of church traditions. You can't play cards. Now, I didn't know much about that, but what I read about that is there are certain card games like Rook or Uno, games that have cards, but you can't play with the 52 standard deck of cards because the Joker is in there, and the Joker is Satan, and therefore you can't play cards. How that came about and where do you find that in the Scripture? Good luck. Um, but sometimes the church has been guilty of, we have rules like how you're supposed to dress. And if you don't dress a certain way, God is not happy with you. Or music, okay? We have drums. We have cymbals. There are some people that say, that's allowing the devil in here. That's a violation of the rules of God. Yet, for those of you that know music, you go back in the Old Testament, there's drums and there's cymbals in the Old Testament. Um, So sometimes we take rules and we elevate them as if they were the Word of God when they aren't the Word of God. So in what ways do we have this religiosity? What assumptions do we make about God, our church, and our faith? And what we see today in our text is Jesus goes after these things. And it's, we want to take, at the end, we want to be able to, to say, what, what are we holding on to that we need to let go, on, let go of or hold a little bit more loosely? So what can we learn, perhaps, about ourselves and our religiosity? So today's passage is in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13 to chapter 3, verse 6. And we're going to look at four specific instances, one after another. And if if you follow those, notice the increasing and rising crescendo of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the rising level of antagonism between Jesus and the Pharisees. To the point where we get to what we already talked about, they want to kill him. How did we get from he's just a preacher going around to where we got to kill this guy? And we find these four instances, which is great in the Scripture because they're one after another. And if you notice, they, they tend to escalate. The attitude of Jesus toward the Pharisees and the Pharisees toward Jesus increases. So here we go. The very first one is what I call the Matthew party. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Jesus calls Matthew as his disciple. And Matthew is a tax collector. Here it is. It says, Once again, Jesus went out besides the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus calls Levi, or Matthew, to follow him. Now that's extraordinary in and above itself, because Matthew was not a theologian. Matthew was a Jew. 
But the Jews didn't like him because he worked for the Romans. He collected taxes. But the Romans didn't like him because he was a Jew. So he was in a class all by himself. He's like a traitor. So the Jews viewed him as a traitor. And he was a cheat because he would overcharge taxes because that's how he made his living. Whatever he could get over and above that he had paid to Rome, that was his living. So he would give surcharges to the taxes. So calling Matthew is unusual in and of itself. Not the focus today, but interestingly enough, we go on to read that Matthew, after he meets Jesus, throws a party, a feast, kind of a wild feast for all of his buddies. It's called the Matthew party, what I call the Matthew party. And the best part is Jesus comes to the Matthew party. Jesus joins the Matthew party. Here's what it says. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Levi's Matthew, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we need to go back and get the drama here. These Pharisees are aghast that Jesus is eating and mingling with tax collectors and sinners. What's their beef with Jesus? They could not stomach that Jesus, he was a rabbi, supposed to be a rabbi, that he was willing to dine with the despised tax collectors and ordinary Jews who were sinners. Now that goes back, <clears throat> see the, the, the Pharisees had looked at the Old Testament in the Old Testament it talks about that God's people were to be separate. They were to be distinct. They were to be different. But they had raised that to the level of isolation. And not only isolation, but rejecting people. Categorizing, rejecting, hating people, marginalizing people, when the real purpose of being separate was to avoid contaminating their worship of God. But they had raised it and made it what it, God never intended it to be. It's misunderstanding. Misunderstanding the purpose of what God wants, what God intended. They never went back and thought, what's the purpose and spirit behind this? What's the intendment? They used it to justify their own superiority. Now Jesus says, I came to heal the sick. Those who th think they are healthy. Not those who think they are healthy. So we could spend time on the Matthew party, but who do, we, who do you associate with? Do you, associate, do you have non-Christian friends? Do you regularly make it a point to mingle and be around non-Christian friends? Can you imagine what this Matthew party was like, the people that were there? Can you imagine there was probably drinking going on, maybe some smoking going on? And can you imagine the language that was probably being used? Um, it's messy. When, when we as Christians have occasion to rub shoulders with non-believers, it, it gets messy. But where would Jesus be? He would be right there. It says he was reclining at the table. That means that he wasn't just in attendance. He was with them, having a good time with them. Because Jesus values people over rules. People over custom. People over regulations. Because lost people matter to God. Jesus was where people were because he cared about people. And we should be the same. You know, maybe... 
some of us, all of us, including myself, maybe we should throw a Matthew party. Invite some seedy characters to come. Rub shoulders with them. Hear some bad language because they need to hear the gospel. Lost people matter to God. <clears throat> okay, the second episode. Another rule or tradition that Jesus butts head with the Pharisees. Second episode about fasting. So we read on. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast when he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth over an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So here we have the Pharisees complaining again about another tradition, this one about fasting. So if you go back in the Old Testament, fasting, there's only one place in the Old Testament where fasting was commanded. That was at the Day of Atonement in Leviticus. So fasting wasn't a regular command. It was one time that it was to take place. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you would see like we've seen in the book of Nehemiah, we saw it in Esther. Fasting takes place regularly whenever there is a specific need and a specific time of prayer. It accompanies fasting. But only one time was it commanded as something you need to do. That was the Day of Atonement. Now, these Pharisees, these law people, the rule-following people, had taken that command and they had elevated it. As a matter of fact, we read elsewhere in the New Testament that these Pharisees fasted regularly, religiously, legally, twice a week. Every Monday and Thursday, from sunup to sundown, they fasted. And they took great pride in the fast that they were obeying the rules of God when that wasn't the rule of God. And they made sure everybody knew they were fasting too. We know that. So they took the purpose of fasting and they turned it into a rule, a habit, a tradition beyond, far and above what its very purpose was. And Jesus comes along and come, challenges them on that. Now, before we go on, traditions are often good things. Many of us here have traditions in our families. Maybe it's your workplace, in your neighborhood. Traditions are a good thing. We put up a Christmas tree every year. That's a tradition, okay? A lot of traditions are very, very good. Holidays, especially, are loaded up with traditions. Some of you do. I've heard one couple, they would eat Chinese food on Christmas Eve every year because that's the way they always did it. And the family had some real security that that's what they do. And matter of fact, my, one of my favorite movies is The Fiddler on the Roof. And the guy in there sings that song, Tradition. And he says, tradition is how I know who I am and what God expects of me. That's what he says. Traditions are good sometimes. They create stability. For those of you that know me, I am a very much a creature of habit, a very much a creature of tradition. Um, and the nice part of it is Barb and I are on the same page, so it doesn't cause any conflict in our marriage for the most part. For ex and mainly it centers, we were talking last night, mainly it centers around eating and parking. 
You know, she parks the same place at Walmart. Whenever she goes to Walmart, so when I'm driving or going to Walmart, she says, well, we got to park, we park over here. So I have to go park where we always park. Um, you might notice this, but when I come to this campus, I park way out there, the same place, every time. I told John McDonald earlier, I said, you park in my spot, I'm going to have to come in and ask you to move your car so I can park in my spot. We, one, one time, after one of the meetings here, I walked out there, and my car wasn't there because I had parked over here. Um, and I walked all the way out there, and I stood there looking for my car. Um, eating. We, Barbara and I... Uh, we, we go to, we've been going to St. Louis Cardinals games, and, and uh, we, we eat at this place across from the ball field. It's called Ballpark Village. And so the last time we were going to the game, I said, where do you want to eat? She says, well, where we always eat. I said, okay, good. That's kind of what I was hoping she'd say that. And so we, we, we go there, and I said, what are you going to have? She says, well, I have grilled cheese, because I always have a grilled cheese. And that's the way we are. Um, the good thing is we're on the same page. If someone it disrupts our routine, our tradition, our habit, we kind of lose track of who we are. Um, so traditions are good, but they can also be dangerous. They can be dangerous and need to be held loosely. They need to be held loosely, and we need to make sure they don't get in the way of more important things that really matter. And that's what we find with the Pharisees. That's the point Jesus drives home. Traditions and rules and regulations aren't really the problem. It's if they get in the way of God's heart. So, are we willing to let go of our traditions to follow Jesus more closely? And, you know, um, there's times when we say, well, we always do it this way. Take, our, take churches. Take our church. Well, this is the way we always have done things. We always do it this way. Can you imagine a guy like Brian coming into a new church and find, finding people that are like, well, we always do it this way. Don't change things on us. But the key is we need to hold those things loosely. What helps us move closer to Jesus? To know the, tra- the difference between a tradition and the purpose of that tradition. That's the key. Hold it loosely in a spirit of wonder. Always keep an open mind. Now, so rules and traditions do belong, but in their proper place in their proper place. Are you willing to let go of something to follow Jesus more closely? That's the key. So now we got our third incident between Jesus and the Pharisees. More rules and regulations that Jesus messes with. This has to do with the Sabbath. I call it Sabbath dispute number one because we're going to have another one here in a minute. Sabbath dispute number one has to do with the disciples picking grain. And things are now starting to escalate rapidly when Jesus messes with the Sabbath. He messes with the Pharisees where they disagree on the purpose of the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is one of the main identifying markers of Judaism. It is, strikes at the very heart of Judaism. It goes back, as we know, to the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the problem has been, what exactly does that mean? So the Pharisees have made up and developed a whole litany of rules and regulations surrounding how to keep the Sabbath day holy. And it probably encompassed books and what you could do, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And these prohibitions and rules were found nowhere in the Scripture, nowhere in the Bible. 
There are more rules and regulations surrounding the Sabbath than any other commandment. For example, it does talk in the scripture about you're not to harvest on the Sabbath. So in our story here today, we're going to read in a minute, the disciples were walking along and they were hungry, so they took the grain and they would get rid of the chaff so they could eat the, the uh, grain. Is that harvesting? They were, so it upset the Pharisees. Back in the day, you couldn't work on the Sabbath and you couldn't, so they said, well, you can only travel so far. Um, they they called it, you could only go a Sabbath's day journey. And that was 2,000 paces. Beyond 2,000 paces, you were in trouble with God. So what they would do is, leaving a little margin for error in case they lost count, they would say 1,999 paces, no more. That way, if you lost count or you skipped one, you, you're not in trouble with God. So you can imagine these guys, if they wanted to travel anywhere, they'd have to count all their paces. Now, as somebody reminded me earlier, that was before they had the app on their phone that counts your steps. And now, they, they, if you were a, a, a Jew keeping this in line, you, would, you could write that down at 995 or so, sound an alarm so I can quit before 2000. No work was to be done on the Sabbath. Well, that's okay. We understand that. But what is work? If you make a meal or you do the dishes or you lift something, what exactly is work? Anyway, here's our story. Jesus tangles with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. It says this, <clears throat> Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as, his, as, and as his disciples, he walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then they said, then he said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus deals with their criticism of him, and he points to the purpose and the spirit of the Sabbath. Now what I like as an attorney, Jesus, like a good lawyer, he cites precedent. Okay? That's what lawyers do. Cite precedent, you win your case. Jesus cites precedent from their source, the Old Testament. He says, in your scriptures, let me show you where there is precedent for people and the needs of people trumping the regulations. And not only from their source, but it's, it's the hero of their faith, David. He quotes from David of where he violates a rule for the sake of being merciful and helping people. Then Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the purpose of, you go back, the purpose of the Sabbath, you know, God is almost in, his, in heaven shaking his head at these Pharisees because he gave the Sabbath for a good. The Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is a gift of mercy from a gracious God to say, people, you need to rest. It's good for you to rest. That's why I love you. I want to give you this great gift of rest. The Pharisees have turned, turned the Sabbath into a weapon to beat people over the heads with regulations. And that's not the purpose. So Jesus says, hey, hey, the Sabbath 
was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So law, the law serves us. We don't serve the law. The law serves us. It is good. It's for our, it's for our benefit. And rules are meant to serve us. People matter more than rules. So sometimes we find ourselves serving rules and oftentimes making other people or expecting other people to do the same. Then in our passage, Jesus drops what I call the atomic bomb that really frosted the Pharisees. He says this, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, if you were there and Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, you would have gasped, if not cursed, because Jesus, when he says the Son of Man, that's identifying with God. And nothing frosted the Pharisees more than this blasphemy where he identifies with God. But then he goes on to say, he's greater, he's Lord of, he's greater than the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was at the heart of Judaism. And here's this guy that says, number one, I'm God and I trump the Sabbath. So you can see how the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus is went up a huge notch at this particular point. But the questions we need to ask ourselves, are we serving rules over people? And are we making other people do the same thing? Are we promoting the life and flourishing of other people? Or are we letting rules limit our lives? Now the fourth incident, the last one, what I labeled as Sabbath dispute number two. This is a healing. This is in chapter 3, 1 to 6. This is the coup de grace. This is the culmination of all the challenges, each escalating and challenging these rule-following Pharisees. And this one, Jesus has about had it. And as we've read earlier, the Pharisees have about had it. Here it is. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Drama here. He stretched it out and the hand was completely restored. Then our, where we started. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This was a straw that broke the camel's back. He healed this man on the Sabbath. And don't miss the drama and the tension here. When you read the scripture sometimes, try to get, put yourself there, get the drama and the tension, because this was an incredible, deliberate act of provocation by Jesus. He challenges them. He provokes them. But it's also an incredible act of mercy for a man who had a shriveled hand. We can't miss that at the same time. This man with the shriveled hand was healed. That's why Jesus came. He cares about people. So again, you have the conflict. Rules or people? Legalism or mercy? Does the law serve us or do we serve the law? You know, interesting about this particular incident, on the Sabbath, 
a Jewish man quoting the Mishnah, which is the Jewish body of law that has developed over time, says first aid was deemed permissible on the Sabbath to prevent an injury from worsening. But efforts toward a cure were regarded as work. Must wait the passing of the Sabbath. And in this case, the withered hand was obviously not, not life-threatening, and it didn't qualify as an exception to the Sabbath rules. So the Pharisees would have told Jesus, wait until Monday, then you can heal the guy. Jesus says, why wait? Jesus didn't wait. He, he went ahead and healed the man. Because mercy and the welfare of people take precedence over legalism. Now, Jesus' reaction to the Pharisees is very noteworthy here. He, it says he regards the Pharisees with an anger that expresses the anger of God when legalism is used to avoid doing good. God gets angry. Jesus got angry when legalism is used to avoid doing good. See, in, the, in their concern for legal detail, they had forgotten the mercy and grace shown by God for his children when he made provision for things like the Sabbath. In the name of piety, they had become insensitive and callous to both the purposes of God in the Sabbath, but also to the needs of human beings. Jesus was angry. For sometimes people think anger is a sin. Well, this says Jesus was angry. He was angry at, at the thing, wrong thing that was going there. Anger is not in and of itself a sin. But his anger was also mixed with pain. It said that he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and their blindness toward the character of God. As if he's shaking his head saying, I'm really sad, I'm grieved that these people just don't get it. They have missed the real purpose of the Sabbath. They have real, missed the real purpose of God's heart and they're so stuck on their rules and regulations and traditions that they just can't get it. Their heart is hard. So following rules and traditions can result, following blindly, can result in hard hearts. But before we look at the Pharisees and say, bad Pharisees, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisees, be careful because sometimes we develop the same attributes of the Pharisees. We sometimes let tr traditions and rules and regulations trump people and what their needs are. Human need should always take precedence over religious law. So Jesus laid down his life. He lays down his life to kill our religiosity. Religiosity is not near the heart of God. So in what ways are you and I like the Pharisees? In what ways do we put traditions and rules and assumptions we make about how things should be ahead of the needs of people? The way of the Pharisees was religion and rules. And sometimes we develop that same habit. As a result, it devalues people and causes us not to act charitably, mercifully. Jesus is the only way and path to God. And following Jesus means we need to be humble and teachable always and hold loosely those things that we think are right and prescribed by the, by the Scripture when it may not be prescribed by the Scripture. So continue to regularly surrender your religiosity to Jesus. Hold things loosely. Always think, 
What is the purpose of this? What is the right thing to do here? You know, we've used over the several weeks, we've used this discipleship triangle about the word, the works, and the way. The way of the Pharisees was works and getting favor with God. They thought that pleased God without refocusing and reorienting their heart, heart transformation to understand the heart of God, the purpose of God in what we do. So one key diagnostic question is this. Where are you stubborn? When it comes to faith, the church, what's right and what's wrong, do we oftentimes put rules over people? Or do we put people over rules? Are we flexible enough to look at people and put the value of people over rules? That's the heart of God. Rules, laws, traditions, expectations, they're meant to serve us, not the other way around. You know, Paul is the, was a great Pharisee before he, uh, or Saul, uh, was a great Pharisee before he became Paul, and he followed the rules to the extreme. He's an example, but his life changed, and he suddenly reoriented it and developed the heart of God. So we have to rely upon the grace of God and not the certainty of rules. And are our traditions, the things we sometimes hold too tightly, getting in the way of our being of help and assistance to our fellow man. Can we surrender to be more like Jesus? So here's a challenge. We all have traditions and there are rules and regulations. Be careful. Just be careful. Keep, keep, hold them loosely so you, they don't become so rigid that you miss the heart of God. That's what the Pharisees did. Surrender this to Jesus. Hold it loosely in your hand. And then... Develop the perspective of God. Try to develop the heart of God. God values people. That's why Jesus is reclining at the table at the Matthew party. Because people matter. People matter. Jesus came to die for people to be saved. He loves people. Sometimes we let other things get in the way. Whether it's the Matthew party, the Pharisees there, or whether it's traditions like fasting, or maybe something as important as the Sabbath. People matter. Let's pray.